Welcome to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. My name is Selena Gordon and I'm here with my friend... Amma Rose Abrams. And we're here to bring you art and culture, books and poetry, activism and music and a whole lot more. Um, Welcome. Thank you for tuning in. How have you been, Rose? I've been very well, actually. I've had an extremely busy month. Uh It's been a lot of fun. I've been... I was... Everything's kind of kicked off again work-wise with, I don't know, I guess, art world stuff. I was in Accra for a Global Ghana conference and had a great time there. I um, went to Paris. I've just been working a lot. And um, and I wrote about something which is happening today in Trafalgar Square, which is the world reimagined installation of their wonderful artist design globes, where artists are expressing their feelings, memories and responses to the legacy of the transatlantic slave trade in the UK. And that's happening right now. It's happening right now. Yeah, you can go down any time between now and Sunday evening. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, it's been a busy old time. I'm afraid we haven't got Matt this week, uh, this month, um, but shout out to Matt. We will still have his roundup, which he has recorded for us. Um, We've got an amazing show, beautiful music, fantastic poetry, brilliant books. It's November. It's roll next season. It's jumper time. It's time for a bit of cosy. It's time for a bit of... And what are we going to start the show with, Rose? We're starting the show with a cosy, autumn, snuggly, dancey track. This is Teenage Dream by T-Rex. Whatever 
Welcome back to Roaring Twenties Radio. Roaring. I'm Emma Rose. <laughs> I'm Selena. <laughs> you gave me a shock. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Roaring. <laughs> uh, 
Um, what have you been up to this month, Selena? You have had a lot on. It's been a busy old time. Every everything is so busy, busy. Um, Twitter is melting. The world is constantly changing. There's all this crazy stuff going on in the world. In my tiny little world, I've been, you know, writing my poems, my little poems, and writing and getting on with things. Um, I was very honoured to be asked to be part of the Letters Live event at the Royal Albert Hall. And it was so exciting. It, it looked was, phenomenal. It was absolutely stunning and all held together by the wonderful Benedict Cumberbatch, who was so kind and nice to me. And he's my best friend now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear he's a nice man. No, uh, no, but he was very lovely. And it was all really just fantastic and all for a good cause, um, raising money for Choose Love. Um, and we're in Soho, it's Soho Radio. And just around the corner, the Choose Love store has just opened on Fubert's Place, um, just around the corner here. So make sure you get down there. The idea is so good, isn't it, for the Choose Love store? It's great. You can go in and I think there's a really big price range from um, low to high. And if you can buy a gift, and the gift will be for um, Choose Love to donate to refugees, and you can buy that gift for on behalf of somebody, or you can buy it on behalf of yourself. And it uh, ranges from um, clothing, life jackets, uh, medical equipment, kind of basic first aid. Yeah, so get down there, or you can just go online to the Choose Love, I think it's just choose and and do that online. Get, if you're worried about Christmas presents and you bit skin and don't really know what to buy people and you end up buying them stuff they don't even want to use, then why not just get the gift that keeps giving by helping other people and then the person will feel like they're also helping people and that's got to be a good feeling, right? Yeah, it's got to be a good feeling. It's got to be a good feeling. Um, talking of good feelings and good things, um, a lovely thing that happened this month is the Fire People won the Poetry Award for the Books Are My Bag Readers Award. This is a phenomenal thing. Um, the Fire People was published back in the 90s. It was the first time I ever saw my poetry in print in a proper book. It was the first time for many of us to see our work in print. It wasn't easy in the 90s to get your work published to get your work out there um, a lot of us were very DIY and putting out our work ourselves and so this anthology which was edited by the great Lem Sisse was pulled together by Lem and um, and so it was an amazing moment when it was published and here we are all these years later and it when the readers voted for it it's a readers award and that is wonderful and it's really yeah I mean it's just fantastic for me personally I was yeah I was just so yeah just blown away by that um, because now here we are full circle and I'm publishing with Canongate um, who were my dream publishers back then in the 90s and uh, they published Fire People so there's a gorgeous full circle there for me personally um, so that was a lovely party that was at Foyles bookshop on uh, Charing Cross Road we love Foyles yeah we do yeah. we love Foyles um, I've just got a couple of shout outs actually from magazines I've had some um, been doing a, quite a bit of writing as I said and there's new, there's a new um there's a new edition of Wasafari magazine out and it's been, it's the education special and I've got some new poetry in there, but there's so much going on in there. It's, um, it's been, I was asked by Darren Chetty to 
submit some work, but it's an incredible um, addition and it's got an interview with Inua Elums and just all, all sorts of stuff. So look that up. Um, there's also uh, a new edition of Cunning Folk magazine, the Earth issue, and uh, there's an interview in there and um, that's just come out. And then lastly, I'm always talking about Dark Mountain. Yes, I'm, I was so excited to see this. Yes, I'm yeah. very excited. I've always really followed and been a really big fan of their writing, climate change writing, eco writing, and they, they published my piece um, where I wrote about a sort of lockdown and gardening and flowers and cancer and COVID and the pandemic and finding hope in the mud chasing snails, which is a true story. Um, so you can find all of those on my Instagram or on my Twitter. So that's Dark Mountain, Cunning Folk and Wasafari, three amazing magazines that just came out this month. Okay, should we have a bit more music now? Yeah, we're going to turn it up a little bit. We're going to have Fatso ooh, ooh. by Warm Doucher. And uh, just, I should say now that we started off the show with Teenage Dream by T-Rex, in case you didn't know what that was. Okay, Fatso. <laughs> And hands come marching It's time to roll up both your sleeves No time for pudding Don't pay the bill, man Just tip her twice before you leave Heads drive the big machines. I'll take the flavored one night stands to sweeten my dreams. Two week vacations, no place to go. The sun is on my back, so fuck them all, let's go.
upside down world. It's a good world, bad world, upside down world. Everybody's laughing because they don't want to drown in the tears of joy. You're listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio, the monthly show for art, culture, books, poetry and activism. My name's Matt Abbott and this is my monthly roundup from the world of spoken word poetry. I'm going to start off, as always, with the gigs. 
I've got two for Thursday the 24th of November, so depending on where you are in the country, you've got to get to one of these. First up, I always plug this, Outspoken Live. As you know by now, Outspoken Live takes place at the Southbank Centre in London. Tickets cost £10, and this month's headliners on Thursday the 24th of November are Anthony and Aksaguru, Hannah Lowe and Zafar Kunyal. So that's Thursday the 24th of November, Outspoken Live in London. You've got to get on that if you can. If you happen to be up north on the same night, Thursday the 24th of November, Nims and Thugs, my record label, we're teaming up with Bad Betty Press on the Leeds leg of Bad Betty's UK tour. This is at High Park Book Club in Leeds. The headliners are Maria Ferguson, Tanatse Gambora, Molly Naylor and Shurston Luckins. Tickets are £6 or £4 concession. And if you're anywhere in West Yorkshire, you got to get along. It's our last event of the year. We're really excited about it. I may have even plugged it on previous episodes of Roaring Twenties Radio, I can't remember, but either way, I can't stress enough how good this is, especially for only six quid. Wednesday, the 30th of November, back in London, Apples and Snakes with Jordans, that takes place at Rich Mix. Uh, and this month, it's a bit of a football theme, kind of. Don't worry if you don't like football, it's fine. What it is, it's a five-a-side poetic playoff. So there's five poets from Apples and Snakes, and then five poets from Young Identity in Manchester, and they're having a bit of a, a poet-off on stage. So that's the football theme, that's all it is, honestly. And that's Pay What You Feel, with tickets starting as low as £3. So that's Wednesday the 30th of November, Jaw Dance at Rich Mix. Thursday the 1st of December, I can't believe how close December is, it's terrifying. Thursday the 1st of December, a lovely word at Everyman in Liverpool. So this is free. It takes place in the basement at the Everyman Theatre in the little cafe bar. And this month's headliner is the Repeat Beat Poet, who we obviously love on this show, plus open mic. So if you're in the North West, get along to that. Also in the North West, Thursday the 8th of December, Harry Baker with Unashamed. Um, Harry's actually on a massive UK tour, to be honest, so if you're into his work, just go to his website, there's dates all over the country, but I've picked this one out, it's at the Edge Theatre and Arts Centre in Manchester on Thursday the 8th of December, and tickets for that one are £13. Harry Baker, like I say, he's absolutely all over, so do check it out. Tuesday the 13th of December, a night called Here at Outernet in London, a very, 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 very rare opportunity to see K-Tempest. Um... Everybody knows who K Tempest is, and it's it's not often that they perform. So get tickets for that if there's still some left. They're going for around £29.50-ish. Um, it might have sold out by the time you're hearing this, but check it out if you can, if you're into K Tempest. Wednesday the 14th of December, down in Exeter at the Phoenix Theatre, is the Spork Christmas Special. So Spork is their monthly night. This is their Christmas special with Joel Taylor and Luke Wright plus more. Tickets are £8 or £5 concession. Friday the 16th of December, raise the bar in Bristol at the Arnold Feeney, which is a wonderful uh, wonderful venue, wonderful theatre. Um, Friday the 16th, they've got Bellatrix and Sophia Kamara Kinshasa and more. So that's £6 uh, plus, pay what you feel. So £6 plus, pay what you feel. Also, on Friday the 16th of December is Loud Poets, their final event of the year. That's at the Scottish Storytelling Centre in Edinburgh. They've got um, Nassim, Rebecca, Assel, Desiree, Colin Nelson and Jim Monaghan and tickets for that are £10. So, depending on where you are in the country, either go to Bristol or Edinburgh if you can. And then the final event I'm going to plug for this month's episode is Sunday the 18th of December... Another Time in Space, which is the new collection from Tori Agar, but I'm going to tell you more about that later. 
Uh, it's launched at Leaf in Liverpool. Tickets are £15, including a book, and there's also some wonderful support as well. So that's Sunday, the 18th of December in Liverpool. Tori Agarbo is launching Another Time in Space. So on to the releases then. I'm going to mention Toria straight away because I'm really, really excited about it. So this is coming out on Wrecking Ball Press next month. We don't have an official release date yet, but it's next month, so it is soon. There's also no official blurb for the book, right? Just a ton of excitement and anticipation. If you don't know Toria... Tori Agabo is a poet and educator. Since bursting onto the scene in 2014, Toria has been a regular tour support for Dr John Cooper Clark, most recently on his Luckiest Guy Alive tour, on which Toria performed her first European dates. In 2016, she released her debut album Hot Plastic Moon via Nymphs and Thugs, and in 2018, her debut collection The Universe of Me was also published by Wrecking Ball Press. Toria's words have also been featured in Not Too Tame's Northern Soul show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and recently in The Guardian for their feature on the rise and rise of the new poets. Toria has been involved in many projects, including working with young people and prisoners, relaying the importance of having your voice heard no matter what your background, and using poetry to turn pain into purpose. So even just reading that gets me excited. So that's Tori Garbutt with her hotly anticipated second collection, Another Time in Space, out next month. Uh, Toria's label mate, Kirsty Taylor, has published a book with Verve Poetry Press. This is called Cashy Sees the Musical. came out on the 6th of October. I'll read the blurb and then talk about it. So... Cashy Sees the Musical is Kirsty Taylor's witty and poignant debut play set in a recreated pawnbroker shop in Bradford. The musical uses rap and bassline to tell the stories of people who live hand to mouth, trading in a kettle on a Monday and buying it back on Friday because they really need, really need a fiver. Kirsty depicts the effects of real life poverty in contemporary Britain with sharp wit and true compassion. Expect karaoke machines, mobility scooters and a proper night out with a high energy ensemble cast. This is a story of our time, a story of struggle and perseverance created by and for working class people. Also included are several of Kirsty's spoken word poems on similar themes. So I absolutely loved Cashy Sees the Musical. I went to see it. As it said in the blurb, it's an old it's an old shop in Bradford that's been kitted out like a cash converters, and it's just one of the most immersive and um like it it made me feel angry it made me feel sad i laughed at times it was just really a beautiful beautiful piece and i know a lot of people won't have been able to see the live show but now that the collection's out on verve you can experience it in a different way so number three uh cecilia knapp her collection peach pig is being published by corsair well it was published by corsair in october uh here's the blurb In her devastatingly powerful debut collection, Cecilia Knapp examines the experience of motherlessness and its lasting impact, as well as the lessons passed between generations of women. These poems explore women's complicated relationship with their bodies, with sex and with shame as she traverses the violence of romantic love, but also employs humour and mischief, a wry reclaiming of power. We hear stories of a challenging childhood in a seaside town, a girl growing up, getting out and reckoning with the guilt of being one of those people now. The collection also offers a look at Knapp's close relationship with her older brother, his struggles with addiction and eventually his death. With tenderness, she remembers him and unpacks the unique grief that comes after a suicide. Peach Pig is a candid and unflinching look at loss, an attempt to find a language for it. It grapples with feelings of anxiety, insecurity and displaced anger, but it is also a collection full of dreams, hope and vibrant persistence, a willingness to question and to carry on. So that is Peach Pig by Cecilia Knapp, out now on Corsair. 
The penultimate book that I'm going to plug is by Candice Siobhan Walker. It's called Kaleido and it was published by Bad Betty Press yesterday. So Candice Siobhan Walker's double pamphlet is a dexterous, inventive take on the tarot's major arcana. Mirrored in its entirety, Kaleido explores the archetypes in both upright and reversed positions, attesting to Walker's superb formal skill and compelling line in existential inquiry. Summoning spirit guides, girlhood NUI, Quietapine dreams and Mini Ripperton, this speaker seeks certainty in biblical gardens, noisy bars and fast Cadillacs, in South East London, Sapello Island and the Brecon Beacons. Kaleido is an enthralling, unforgettable debut. And finally, I mentioned this briefly last month because we had a clip from Layla, um, but Layla Josephine's debut collection, In Public, In Private, which was published by Bernie Knight at the beginning of November. So, Layla Josephine dances between her private and public lives, her inner thoughts and outer performance, dipping into each side of herself with humour and reverence. In Public, stroke, in private, ends up in a stranger's flat on a one-night stand, an awkward lunch with a politician, raves in dark sweaty clubs and midnight mass in Ireland. Some poems read like public proclamations, but in others we are invited to listen through the crack of a bedroom door. There is a sense that everything firmly belongs here. The opposing sides of herself do not discount each other. Layla's stunning debut collection of poetry unmasks secrets, faith, shame, lust and death unapologetically. She fearlessly reaches through every page and asks, have you felt this too? So that is In Public Stroke, In Private by Layla Josephine, out now on Bernie Nye. And just to finish my roundup, I like to pick five pieces of content or recent news. First up, Joel Taylor's Kunto and Other Poems won the Polari Prize, which is wonderful news, of course. There's a great piece on an American website called The Eagle, which is theeagleonline.com, and it's with Palestinian poet Gadia Malek. She's speaking about fighting colonialism through her work. Uh, So that was published on The Eagle on the 10th of November, so definitely find that because it's a really, really good interview. Um, There's also a great interview in The Guardian. This was a while back. It was on the 22nd of October, but it's with Yomi Sode, and uh, it's a wonderful piece, and the, the headline of the article is The Last Thing I Want Is To Be A Preacher. So go and find that on The Guardian's website. We love Yomi. Um, the Washington Post have just published their best five poetry collections of 2022. They published that on Thursday. The collections are by Shuri Kido, Michael Longley, Tawanda Mulalu, Nelly Sachs and A.E. Stallings. So if you're interested, have a little look. That's the Washington Post's five best poetry collections of 2022. And finally, another great interview. This is with Grammy-nominated hip-hop poet Jay Ivey. He's speaking to Hip Hop Wired about reparations, the power of healing, and his new album, The Poet Who Sat By The Door. So he's one of five poets who were nominated in Grammy's new um, Best Spoken Word Album category. I've mentioned that recently. It's really exciting, because obviously a lot of spoken word albums, it's like speeches or whatever. Um, so it's great that poets like Jay Ivey are being recognised on that scale. Jay Ivey in particular excites me quite a lot. So if you find that the web website is hiphopwired.com um that's a really good interview so that is my roundup for this month i hope you've enjoyed it i hope i've introduced you to some exciting new things to get involved in i am going to leave you with a track cheers Booyah.
Yalale Saton to Jokole Kaba Bashe Bishaki, Meng Shimba Nakon to Janale Kapdam, Yetel Jokole Lumat, Okantalo Lake, Akas, Okanil, Mangle Kabo Bashe Lik, Achiba Tukateng, Tenkanantik Belak Lakmasil, Tusta Beng Lake, Ahak Uhop Yalo Siopten, Letukul Yalak Esik Yalak Lak of Ojilob, Buka Utsil Uja Bilta, Laka Kikal Yetel Aklumila, Sikin to Janal, Kash to Kushane. Tawignal, chena wujiken, mista nama chicken, joko olimpek sikimba, avujik yetel ashikin, kinkustal, ichil tech, tianech ichil impuxika, chen weneke che, tianech ichil ina job, abokel, mashenten, letietan, kushanen, tupetenil, yukata. Bolong Kalil Pati Ketch Lela Leti El Gacha Yankak Sibashal Waking Pati Ketch Shibalba Sonoto Ujok Bal Uti Al Ulak Jokol Kap Kalan Tapach Big Patak Kalan Tapach Big Patak Kalan Apach All Maya everybody it's matt again uh, so i've got some exclusive recordings to share this month and the first one i'm going to play is from louise fazakali i mentioned her brand new collection the pleasure dome recently um and this is a track that's been set to music so um this poem explores the idea of layers of self within us the inner child with its fairy tale and dolls the evil teenage girl with a sharp tongue who talks to us from the mirror and the horror of the aging process with its dry paper quality just like the outer skin of an onion we are all onions 
They come from Louise's third collection, as I mentioned, The Pleasure Dome. Um, and this track is called Mirror Princess Die, and that refers to death, not Princess Diana. Um, it's read over the Twin Peaks soundtrack, and it's a reference to another poem in the collection about nipple tassels, which is called Twin Peak. So this is... Uh, uh, Twin Peaks, sorry. So this is Mirror Princess Die by Louise Fazakali. <laughs> Mirror, princess, die. Little pig, little pig, let me let down your granny grey hair, grunting your body woolen. Now, no night to gnaw the knots, no, no, and release you. Building blocks of soft pink books, old woman waste of space and time i thought you were so su- su- supposed to be wise no wise cracker old knacker stupid natter a dirty knickers useless knitter people buy the baby clothes from next no nasty pants Gossiper, do-gooder, gawker, mawkish mocker, body clocker, oh, yours has more or less stopped. Old woman, I hate you, the woman I will become. It started already with a crop of white pubes. White pubes in the forest? The moon won't like that, you dry twat. You should have trapped youth in that hot oven while you still had one. You should have trapped a prince in that hot bread baker, homemaker to kings you could have been. Left instead with the corpse of a horse man. Hearse, ma'am, around your folly, no lolly, just dead thorn grey goose gorse. Thank you. 
You're listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. You can find us on Twitter, if it still exists, and Instagram at Roaring Twenties Radio. So it's Roaring Twenties Radio and the Twenties is 20S. You can also find previous episodes at podcasts wherever you usually get your podcasts or at anchor.fm forward slash Roaring Twenties Radio. So this is another exclusive recording. This is by Tyrone Horton. Uh, I've featured Tyrone's debut collection hoods on last month's show and i was really pleased when he agreed to send this in so this is by tyrone horton and the poem is called if the door knocks hello roaring 20s radio my name is tyrone horton and i'm coming to you live from the center of the universe leicester city today let's read a piece from my recently published collection hoods if the door knocks Don't answer it. Stay away from all windows. Don't let them know you're inside. Hide, evade the light, find the shade if you have to. If the door knocks, under no circumstance must you open it. Hope doesn't visit where the hopeless live. There will never be a savior on the other side or a concerned passerby. Even if the world heard your cries, they will never pry. If they see you, Hide your hurts and tell them I'm at work and you're not at school because you fell or you're not well. Cover the swelling in your retelling. Make sure the bruises and contusions came from tripping over shoestrings. We live in a polished postcode where lawns are lush, interiors are plush. The council tax way too much for them to think you're living rough. The mise-en-scene is deceiving them to believe when the cameras leave The scene won't stop, but my world is made of props. If this door could just knock. If a rat would squeal, if a snake would grass, if a songbird cried, a Karen could Karen, if a wolf or a whistle could blow, the whole house would fall and I could leave this show. Hello everybody, this is Matt Abbott on Roaring Twenties Radio. I've now got a exclusive recording from Tori Garbutt, whose brand new collection, Another Time in Space, is out next month on Wrecking Ball Press. Here's a couple of poems from the wonderful Tori Garbutt. Enjoy. I'm going to read a few poems from my new collection, Another Time in Space. Um, this first one's called Piero. And it's where the collection gets its title from. Do you remember those Piero clowns that were kind of a thing in the 80s? Um, my sister collected Piero, anything to do with it. You know, the trinket boxes or the clowns or the um, duvet covers. And um, when she died, I helped to clear a flat out and 
I found this Piero trinket in a flat and uh, it blew my mind and broke my heart to think that in the middle of the the darkness of her life that she'd gone out and bought this Piero trinket. It, we, we didn't have anything. We don't have anything from our childhood, anything physical. So, like, it were a, a thing that she'd gone out and bought. And... Uh, and so this first this first poem's about that, and then um, then there's a couple of other little ones about her. So that finding that Piero trinket in the flat kind of like propelled me into writing this collection, um, which is all about my sister and the experiences in our lives that shaped us. So this first one's called Piero. There must have been days in between when your black eyes bore inwards and you remembered your distant ghost self. Days when you dressed and left the flat, resolute that you would one day soon come back. And in the in-between, you walked into town, eyes lined like a clown and found a Piero trinket in a charity shop. A souvenir from 30 years ago, from 10 miles away, from another time in space. Uh, this next one's called Mad. <clears throat> My sister got pregnant really young and, uh, and had her own home at 15. It's about that. It's called Mad. You were 15 and you had your own home. That's a mad age to be doing it alone. You bought big bottles of blackcurrant pop from Aldi for your Ben's bot bock juices and ironed his baby grows. There were this kid who used to come round, proud of the tab ends she'd found for her mum's rollers. Tiny caterpillars, hand unfurled. I'd never seen that world before. I felt sad that you belong to it now. But I liked your stories about men who barbecued crows, kept goldfish in the bath, about that lass and her mum who both smoked smack. We could never imagine a life like that. And you'd laugh. That piss-tech laugh, drag on your fag and take it back. Mad, innit, it, girl? Mad. <clears throat> and, um... And this last poem's called I Forgive. <sighs> I sat next to Luby at your funeral, me and your best girl. She took my hand and tucked it into her folded arms. I felt her belly convulse hard and fast like mine. Your coffin was a hand-woven basket, rainbow-striped. We lay sunflowers on top and a magic eye. Your son, our dad and uncles carried you in. They played You've Got a Friend by Carol King. At the end, around your coffin, a semicircle of your kids. I kissed the wicker sticks around your head and whispered, I forgive. really really beautiful poem by Toria Garbutt and that sums up or ends up 
And Matt's amazing poetry writer. I'm yeah. very touched by that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Toria Garbutt's an incredible poet. And thank you so much, Matt, for such a fantastic roundup. Poetry I know. Roundup. That was a lot of amazing, brilliant, beautiful poetry. I was miles away then with the Toria pieces, though. Gorgeous, gorgeous Toria. Naughty Toria, as she's known to her friends, as she's known in my kitchen. We also played um, a shout out to Richard uh, Dickey, who's listening. We played you hospital. That was by Madison Cunningham, who's up for two Grammys. Um, we've been playing quite a lot of Madison Cunningham in our house. So that was for you, Dickie, if you're listening in. Yeah. Hi, Dickie. And um, now we've got, we were meant to have Rooks in the studio today. You've probably been wondering where she is. But... I know, I know. I'm really, I really, really wanted to have Rooks return. We had Rooks on our show as our guest of the very, very first ever show we made. and um, But apparently it's a travel, tra- what am I trying to say? She's... Um, lost her voice. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. She's completely lost her voice, which is no good for radio. We are sending um, blessings and may you be well and have lots of soup and orange juice and all the good things and all the Netflix and then return to us in December. Sending love to Rooks. We love you, Rooks, and we can't wait to have you on the show, perhaps next month, to tell us what you've been up to. Exactly. Since, since the very first ever since Roaring Twenties. Yeah. yeah, we want to hear from her. So, so that's so. 30 shows ago. Yeah. Oh my God. I know. <laughs> The shows go back in the day. <laughs> but um, we are going to play a track from Brooks. We'll hear more from her next month, but let's listen to one of her new tracks. This is uh, Versailles. Some things I never had to know. And it feels like to It's sucking the
a wonderful track that's Versailles uh, get well soon Rooks yeah get well soon if you're listening Rooks and if you like what you're hearing check out Rooks on Instagram and on Twitter and the new album is Pop Not Pop thank you hi so it's back to me I'm Emma Rose and I'm here with my kind of art thoughts for this month basically arty, arty. very arty I haven't really been here so I feel a little bit like rather than run through what I've seen, it's better to just talk through my thoughts. And one thing that stood out to me was um, I, it's, I've just been moving around a lot. First of all, there was Freeze, which is busy. And then I went to Paris um, for the new, uh, it was a kind, it's not a new fair, it's a new old fair. The traditional FIAC fair in Paris was taken over by um, Art Basel, which is the big, everyone's heard of Art Basel, I think. It's become that kind of cultural touchstone for people. It's crossed the boundaries and people know what it is. So now they're running the Paris fair. So it was a big drama in the art world. Everyone's like, what is it going to look like now? And it looked quite similar to what it looked like before. <laughs> and... Um, it was exciting and everyone was kind of gathered together and Paris is such a wonderful city and it's changed a lot and it's the whole representation was a lot more diverse and there's, there's a lot of exciting things happening in that city and it was just so nice to be in Europe and um, in, in Europe, Europe and experience that feeling and connect with colleagues that we used to see a lot more often than we do now. And um, then I went to Accra and I haven't been to Ghana before and I hadn't actually been to Africa before. And it was for a conference, Global Ghana, and um, there was an art aspect to it. There was a um, immigration aspect. There were things, it was mostly around creative kind of endeavours, but there was a lot of chat about the future of Accra, of, Af of Ghana, and how it could kind of work around ideas of philosophy and intellectualism and art and it's very different going to a country where there is so it, the infrastructure is different the focus is different there's less money and you can't get around that 
And um, but one thing about Ghana is it has a wealth of v- very successful artists, and some of them have left, and some of them live there. Lots of um, people have homes there. List people's homes and where they are because that sounds very like a very weird thing to do but I know Stormzy has family there Michaela Cole also has family there there's a real scene um, of British Ghanaians that kind of I think have a dual life in the UK and in Ghana but there are also some really amazing artists that are, that are homegrown um, there is um, Ibrahim Mahama who has built a huge red clay, this um, kind of huge um, community-engaged exhibition space in the north. And there is also kind of this up-and-coming, I guess, I mean, in terms of the art world at the moment, I think he's the most exciting. People get most excited about him as a portrait artist, Amoako Boafo. People really love his work. His work sells a lot for eye-watering amounts at auction. He's very young. But both of these artists and Ellen Atsui, who is building a studio on the edge of Accra, they all put a lot back into the community. And it made me think back to this time almost last year when I was in Moscow and there was another independently built art community but by a completely different type of person and you know richest man in Russia had built this unbelievably beautiful uh, museum and it was an incredible thing that obviously is not functioning in the way it was a year ago and it just made me think about the different ways in which people can make their mark on their locale in the art world with some money and what money goes how far, which I thought was really interesting. I thought a lot about, obviously, if you sell a painting in pounds and you take it to Ghana, your money goes a long way. And I just remember one of the artists I spoke to saying, you can't make that kind of money and not put something back into the community when you live somewhere like this. It's impossible not to do and um but also how hard it is to make a statement that connects with the infrastructure of a country which none of these infrastructure none of these institutions in Ghana do they're all independent and I think probably what what everybody would hope for is it all connects together with some kind of infrastructure that connects with the government rather than people just doing this themselves even though it's wonderful that they do Um, And also the complications that come with taking your independent endeavour and plugging it into the government. Um, So I thought just really, really interesting thoughts there. And also just when people, no matter how much money they have, put something into the community around them and the impact that has. So I was thinking a lot about that and... It was making, I don't know, I just found it quite exciting. And also just in how quickly the world changes, in how quickly something can be sprung up and then taken down again. And it made me think also about our guest, who's just arrived, Hetty, because I was reading her book last night on the train. Welcome, Hetty. Hello. Yes. Hello. <laughs> and we're going to come to Hetty soon. But her book, Lapidarium, touches on this idea of because it's about stone and it touches us on the idea, the idea of like these permanent reminders of impermanence. What you build can change, it can evolve 
and it can just be there as a monument that then is something that we just look at and uh, that's something very interesting but I'll let Hetty tell you all about that because that is actually her idea that I read in her book and not my own idea (laughs) (laughs) not a plagiarist (laughs) but um, now uh, those are my art thoughts I'm sorry I don't have more shows that I went to but really I haven't been here so um, but here is uh, to sum up this is Northern Sky by Nick Drake Never felt magic crazy this. I never saw moons, knew the meaning of the sea. I never held emotion in the palm of my hand. I felt sweet breezes in the top of a tree, but now you're here, bright in my northern sky. Been a long time that I'm waiting Been a long time that I'm blown Been a long time that I've wandered But through the people I have known Oh, if you would and you could Straighten my new mind's eye
You're listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. I'm Emma Rose. I'm Selena Godden. And here is Hetty Judah. And we've got really nice smooth hands. <laughs> we've had a good hand cream session while you were listening to Nick Drake. <laughs> we have the smoothest hands in radio. Oh, that sounds so wrong. <laughs> Soft and smooth. Welcome, Hetty. Welcome, Hetty. Hello, and thank you for the smooth entry. <laughs> Hetty joins us from Brighton, where she's been this morning. And um, yeah, so thank you for making it into the studio today. And you're here to talk about your work and specifically about your new book. So tell us a little bit about that. How did that come around? Sure. So the new book um, is called Lapidarium, The Secret Lives of Stones. And um, there's a kind of the wordplay in the title is very much one of the central themes of the book, which is that I'm trying to unpick this idea that we think of stones and life as two very separate kinds of entity. And I'm trying to complicate that a bit. And in the book, it's one of the many themes that runs through the book is to try and complicate this idea that we think of stones as dead and inert things. Um, so I look quite a lot at the way that stones uh, evolve and the way that many stones are very connected to life forms. So lots of the things that we think of as you know, very stable that once were part of a living creature. So many, so many sedimentary rocks were. Um, so Lapidarium is a book of 60 essays. Um, each essay takes a different stone as its theme. And it's not strictly it's not just like a kind of geological list it's not like an encyclopedia the idea is that each one's actually a story some of them have got a very much like a human connection so some of them will be the story of a specific person um so there's for example the opal story is about this extraordinary female opal miner in australia and her wonderful life are opals really unlucky um, I, I can't, I'm not, I have to say, I'm going to be a terrible disappointment to you, Selena, because I'm not massively into the whole, okay, like, spiritual side of it so much. I okay. mean, I kind of touch on it a bit, but I don't think opals are unlucky. I love opals. I think they're magical. I mean, they're just extraordinary things. And uh, they're like, and they, you can get opalized fossils as well. So in this place, Kubapedi, which is the, the opal centre of the world, they found an entire fossilised dinosaur skeleton. Wow. Which what? is just all kind of pink and sparkly. Wow. Um, so, you know, they are pretty magical. And also they're really different from each place. So I don't know if you watched Uncut Gems, but this whole thing about Ethiopian opals, it's like a really big... I wanted to put something about that in the book and the editors were completely resistant to it. But this idea that suddenly Ethiopian opals are a really big deal and they've, and they've kind of like knocked Australia out of the market is actually true. But... Uh, Ethiopian opals are really, really different looking from um, Australian opals. So they've got like slightly different crystal structures and that whole, you know, the shapes that you see inside them, that magical kind of play of light that happens is quite different and different colours. Um, so yeah, so some of the essays look at specifically at a person's life. Some of them are more philosophical. Some of them look at artworks. Um, some of them are environmentally driven. Some are quite, look, look into mythology quite a lot. There's quite a lot of you know, mythological storytelling. And there is, I mean, there's, I definitely look at magic and spirituality and religion. I don't necessarily see those as being separate things. I think, right. you know, magic's just the name of something that happens in somebody else's faith that you don't share, perhaps. Um, and, you know, new paganism and all of this kind of thing. But I, I think it's probably quite disappointing to people that it's not like I kind of take a side in things. I'm not somebody that's massively into like my crystal healing or anything like yeah, that yeah yeah so, so this isn't a crystal healing book we really need to make that clear it's not a crystal clear. healing book yeah yeah um 
but I mean, I do talk, you know, I talk about new age stuff and I talk about the roots of lots of things. Um, so I guess I'm maybe philosophical. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at the, the blurb of the book. Tell me about the Amber Room of Frederick of Prussia. Oh, you've really put me on the spot there. Um, because I, just when you were saying, um, or, or when you were saying earlier about opals and things being trapped inside, because I always think of amber and amber having mm. creatures trapped inside it. Um, I like amber. Can you tell me anything about amber? Okay. So um, at the end of the Crusades, there were these really hideous dudes called the Teutonic Knights, yeah. who were really brutal um, warriors that had been in the Crusades. And they were basically sent to the north of Europe to Christianize the pagans in the north of Europe. And they basically went in there and they, were, they killed lots of people and, you know, in quotes, they turned it into Christian realm. But they essentially took control of that coast in, the, in I guess, like kind of what, would, what at that point would have been, what was later considered Prussia. So I guess it's the north of Germany going up towards, um, towards kind of Lithuania and stuff, the Baltic coast. And um, this is the area which has a lot of naturally occurring amber. So amber is um, fossilised tree sap from ancient forests, which is why it's sometimes got insects stuck in it, because it will be this poor little insect that got stuck in the sap, and then it's over a long, long time, it fossilises. And it's very, very old indeed. And it's those forests are at somewhere under the ocean, and occasionally it, the amber washes up on the beaches. So the amber would wash up on the beaches in the Baltic Sea, and the Teutonic night basically got the monopoly on amber and so they were supplying amber to Europe and they um and amber was very very popular for rosaries and for talisman and uh, uh, because when you rub it it gives off quite a nice, a nice smell and it's got that kind of warm thing going going yeah. on so so they were massively into their yeah into into amber trade and they brutally controlled it like they did everything so they'd kind of you know hang people from the tree if they found them trying to smuggle amber um and but after the Reformation, they kind of were left without really a purpose, and so they essentially just turned into the nobility of Prussia. Uh, and they had all this amber knocking around, and so the the first kind of you know the the first prince of Prussia um, essentially got this amber, and he started trying to create a perfect amber room. And in fact, it turned out to be incredibly difficult to do because it's it's it doesn't occur in big pieces. Mm. <laughs> um, so uh, so the um, the, you're I mean, the picture in my head is just beautiful. Just yeah, well, it disappeared. Yeah. The, the thing um, is, this, yeah. so it originally was in. Um, it was in. Some, it was. It belonged to the, the the kind of to Prussia, and it was given to Alexander the Great as a thank you present for something. And essentially, when it turned up, he was really thrilled. And then he basically, it's like he took it out of the box, and he was like, "Wait a minute, all the screws are missing, and this is just falling apart." So it was actually in a terrible condition, and so it took quite a long time for people to actually piece it back together for it to be beautiful mm. but it was it went missing and it was it's, I think it's Nazi loot and it's been salted away somewhere so it's one of the great missing missing things oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. have you got a, a, um, a favourite rock is that a weird question or a favourite stone or a stone you're drawn to is there a stone you always wear perhaps around your neck or well I've got a, I was given a really lovely moonstone by my partner Ben for my 50th birthday which I like very much uh, and that's great it's got it's got a bit of it's kind of iridescent it's yeah. got a bit of flash of blue I, li- I do like those yeah. I have a ring as well yeah, yeah. yeah. So I really Tell I do us I about like that iridescent yes. yeah I love well, moonstone well moonstone's not actually in the book but there is something there is something about the book the moonstone okay um, which w- is a kind of great gothic novel and the moonstone of the title of that book is actually a, is meant to be an Indian diamond and it's 
one of these kind of books where, um, in fact, it's like you, you, you can refer to it as colonial gothic, where it's you can see this kind of Victorian neurosis that actually all of the evils that have gone on overseas are kind of coming back to haunt people. And it's and during the book, it kind of exposes the, the upper crust of Victor, Victorian society as being a bunch of frauds and ne'er-do-wells and philanderers. Um, so this kind of stone exposes all that as it, in its passage through Victorian society. But um, there's not actually a chapter on Moonstone, I'm afraid. Sorry, Selena. That will have to be for the sequel. Yes. Okay, okay. Yes. Um, was that there's, I, what else am I remembering? Is there something about Moon Rock? There like is. Rocks from the Moon. There is something about And I managed to get Wallace and Gromit in there as well. How Amazing. did you do that? <laughs> but, you know, but you know what the study of the Moon is called? Go on. Selenology. Yeah. Because it's named after Cellini, the uh, goddess of the, the moon. Goddess of the moon, who yeah. shares a name with a fabulous poet and novelist. I know, <laughs> and I'm Cancerian, and I'm ruled by the moon. Yeah, I know. I'm so moony. You're so moony. <laughs> um, no, I think the thing that I found really extraordinary in writing about moon rock was actually how recently it was that we understood how the moon was formed. So it was not until like the 80s, 1980s. Yeah. In our lifetime. In our lifetime. So we, when we were at primary school, our primary school teachers didn't know how the moon had formed. Oh, that's interesting. That's quite nuts, isn't it? Yeah. And I, and I kind of brought Wallace and Gromit in because actually Nick Parks had already started working on Wallace and Gromit by the time this discovery became public. Like I think people would, because it came from the analysis of the moon rock, mm-hmm. and they were looking at it and they were going, it's got very, like there's, it's incredibly dry and it's missing certain kind of dense things that we have said so that it's, it's low on iron and it's, um, I know how it feels. <laughs> <laughs> Poor moon rock. And so they realized that it was, it was basically though, cause they, they didn't know it, it essentially a large kind of like a, a small planet had essentially collided with the earth when it was forming. And there was this massive thwack and it's almost like the, the moon is formed out of like all of the stuff that got, kind of like burst out of this explosion and so it's a kind of the outer ring of stuff then coalesced into the moon and the moon progressively moves further and further away from us as well so when it was first formed it would have occupied a much larger position in the sky it would have really dominated this the that's end. astonishing yeah and the days were much shorter and so it would have been you would have had these rapid days and then this huge moon and you i mean obviously the earth was just a kind of ball of molten lava and fire at that point but um but it, 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 the moon is progress, still progressively moving further and further away. So there's actually a lovely art piece by um, Peter Liversedge, which is, it's a tape measure, and it's, I can't remember the title of it, but he, there's basically a fixed distance, and, it is, and it's called something like 10,000 years, and there's a point at which the tape measure stops, and that will be the distance the moon will have moved away. I'm it's experiencing not, separation anxiety. Already. I am already upset. Bye bye, moony moon. Oh no, I'm already sad now. I think we should go into a track and come back. Okay, come back, Mr. Fresh <laughs> for more questions from Hetty. But for now, this is Sufian Stevens and Angelo de Augustine with Beginner's Mind. <laughs> Tree grows in the light, shotgun shell, cannon fire, baby, we've got nothing to lose. An ex-president, LA sure has been changing, living off the last of my loot. Heat on his
This is Amarose Brams. You're listening to Roaring Twenties Radio. I'm here with my co-host, Selena Gordon, Ooh. and our wonderful guest, Hetty Judah, Hello. who is talking about her book, Lapidarium. I pronounced it wrongly earlier. That's Lapidarium. I'm sorry. I think it's, I think it's multiple choices either, either way. Either. Yeah. But I've, um, we've just been having the most wonderful and enlightening conversation, basically, um, mining Hetty's amazing mind about this book. <laughs> but I was really interested in how how did you choose a story for a stone like how did it come to you because you must have had to read so much and consume so much to come to a point where you felt creatively that you were inspired enough and then that it would turn into a narrative that you thought would really connect with people yeah i mean it because the the long list of stones that could have gone in the book was obviously enormous um um didn't i mean I can say because we're we're not on the BBC, but the stone that I really wanted to get in, but there's nothing to say about it. It's called Coming Tonight. <laughs> I mean, how can you resist coming tonight? <laughs> <laughs> I never remiss. <laughs> I'm uh, not going to say that's rude. But I, so I read. I guess last year, I in the summer, I kind of you know, I I, I read a couple of meters of books that are kind of more like general geology, gemology books, and. When I thought that I was kind of finding what seemed like the germs of a good story, I'd kind of put that in my little, you know, file. And then I started to do more in-depth research, kind of going through academic papers and, um, you know, old, um, you know, periodicals and things. Because you really learn a lot reading these stories. Like, I was really, I've really learned a lot from what I've read of the book. And it's taps into so many different things and you really go deep it's not like a kind of allegory you really are getting into the heart of it yeah and I was also surprised by the things that I was that I was finding it hard to find any information on so for example there's a chapter called Lingbi which is about a kind of limestone that's found in Anhui province in China and um, I've been aware of these objects that are referred to kind of somewhat erroneously as scholars rocks for a really long time so if you've ever been in a kind of like a stately home in Britain and you've seen that amazing Chinese wallpaper you know that that very rich Chinese wallpaper they've got beautiful birds and fruit and plants and usually around the bottom they'll have like little pictures of these little kind of gnarled looking rocks and they were referred to as scholars rocks in fact the the translation is is, um, more appropriately spirit stones uh, so in Chinese they're called Gongshi, in Japanese they're Suiseki. Um, they're also significant in Korea as well. So in fact in Parasite, I don't know if you remember in Parasite, but there's this whole thing about this um, spirit stone oh, yes. that turns up. It's like got this massive role. Yes. So it's meant to be auspicious in Parasite. Um, and I just assumed that there were people that were really, really into these things. And so I talked to a collector who's massively in the whole world of like Far Eastern artefacts and I said, can you find a collector of Gongshi for me to interview, to talk to? He couldn't find anyone. Um, and then weirdly, it was just one of those weird coincidences that happened. So I went to the opening of this extraordinary building um, called Cosmic House, which is a this kind of postmodern masterpiece. It was a private house that's in Kensington. And I kind of stepped in and it's just full of Gongshi. 
And it turned out that um, Maggie Jenks, who was the wife of, of the architect that built um, Cosmic House, uh, she'd been born in China and she was a garden designer and so she had this passion for, for kind of you know, decorative rocks. And so they turned out to have this incredibly significant collection of um, Gongshi. And so I ended up borrowing literally books from her collection um, and they were, it was, they were kind of some of the few books I could find on the subject. So it's quite esoteric, a lot of it. Um, and it was surprising what it was hard to find that information about. Yeah, I can imagine. And, and also how much, um, I'm trying to not swear on radio, <laughs> how much not true stuff there was. <laughs> I think that's probably the polite way of putting it. There's a lot of not true stuff in a lot of books. So I'd kind of start reading, you know, like kind of like 19, fabulous 1970s feminist books about, you know, goddess worship or crystal mysticism, whatever. And like 95% of it when you drilled down was not true stuff. Mm. Dear. So there were a lot of false starts. There were a lot of things where I was like, yeah, I'm going to write this fantastic story about, you know, all yeah. this amazing spiritual feminist stuff. And it's like, oh, that was just actually kind of conveniently somebody's fantasy that they kind of put together. But also it's that thing with stones is that when you're looking at ancient structures, in reality, most of it, we have no idea mm-hmm. what it was originally used for, what it was made for. And one of the things I really love is that you find also that so much of the, the stone culture goes across different cultures around the world so for example in northern europe it's for a very 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 long time it was believed that um, stone axe heads came down during storms um so they were known as thunderstones so it's thought that during the storm these things would just be kind of cast down from the heavens so what you get the idea of votan obviously the god of thunder who always carries an axe so so these obviously what we now understand them to be they're artifacts of an earlier civilization they're stone age artifacts but the, they were known as thunderstones in german and in british in in various different british languages but also in the ancient kingdom of benin they were also had this significance as well so it's like and they were really really significant in in the ancient kingdom of benin and they were put on altars and things so these found artifacts then kind of cross over all these different cultures in in different ways um yeah and arrowheads were thought to be like elf shot so it was like mischievous sprites that would kind of like fire things at cattle and stuff and it would make things sick. So that was what that was what people thought um, the flint arrowheads were as well. So I've really deviated there massively. Oh, that's so that's fascinating. So, it really is. It yeah. really is. I love these stories. And I wondered, like, was there something that you didn't know you were going to include or something that really surprised you? What was the biggest surprise in the book? Because it sounds like there was obviously a lot of research involved. So what was the most surprising thing, do you think, that came out of it? I mean, the whole thing was pretty shocking. I find me doing anything to do with geology at all. That was <laughs> that was a big shock in itself. I mean, I'm an, I'm an art writer. I'm an art critic. I can't remember whether I did GCSE geography. I possibly didn't. <laughs> um, so I was then having to, like, I was plunging into all of these phd like geological phd papers and i had to do a really pretty rapid kind of education in all of this um but it's also so much more than geology i mean i think i think the thing that i was really surprised by i think was something i touched on a bit earlier which is this interconnectedness of stone and life so this um theory uh, of mineral evolution which is again quite recent it's just been in the last few years looks at the impact that life has on stone So, um, and when we talk about life, obviously it's not just human life. So when cyanobacteria started producing a lot of oxygen about two and a half billion years ago, so you've got what's called the great oxygenation event. 
suddenly all of the oxygen that's in the atmosphere has a massive impact on the mineral makeup of Earth as well. So suddenly the number of minerals just multiplies by dozens and dozens, so it goes into the many hundreds. And also the minerals are continuing to evolve as well, partly <coughs> thanks to human impact as well. And, and, you know, and this is obviously going to continue with you know, the fossils of our own era, the interventions of our own era. So in a way, you know, concrete is the stone of the Anthropocene. The, the, the fossil record we're going to leave is going to leave a whole new mineral record as well. I know, I wonder if it'll just be a, la- a layer of toxic green. But mm, <laughs> a layer of plastic. Yeah. Mm. I mean, <coughs> Sorry, I've got a tickle. But we think of plastic, but I mean, there are so many other things that work. I mean, concrete being a huge one. Yeah. You, you think of the amount of concrete there is now scattered around, or, you know, all of, all of the road systems, all of the tarmac. Um, and I heard that concrete is actually, well, some people think of it as a foam substance It's because it, it's so porous. Mm. So then will th- will it just compress or will it have things running through it like what would it be i mean be? over millions and millions of years stuff transforms hugely yeah you know interesting i think that this is um the time to play my um song pick which is holocene by bon because obviously we talk about the anthropocene but before the anthropocene there was the holocene so let's have a listen to that now
this was like across the line The hollow bright Both my brother and I Insane and spine We smoked the screen to make you
And you're tuned in to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. I'm Selena Godden, and this is my book roundup. There are so many amazing books, so I'm just going to go nice and slow, try not to go too fast and get too excited. But I am very excited by some of the book posts, some of the things I'm being sent by email, some of the things that are happening in the book world. Um, the book that I'm really, really loving this week um, is Max Porter's latest book, Shy. It's a gorgeous book. I'm just finishing it now. It's a story of a few strange hours in the life of a troubled teenage boy. He is wandering into the night, listening to the voices in his head, his teachers, his parents, the people he has hurt, and the people who are trying to love him. From the best-selling author of Grief is the Thing with Feathers and Lanny, Shy is a novel about guilt, rage, imagination and boyhood. Boyhood. It is about being lost in the dark and realising you are not alone. Uh, it's such a fantastic book. It's not coming out till April, so that's a massive teaser. So you'll have to wait till April 2023 for when that comes out. That's the fantastic Max Porter. So I've updated the books on the Roaring Twenties recommendations list on bookshop.org. You can find that. I've shared the link on my Mastodon, Mastodon, my Mastodon, Mastodon. How do you even say it? I can't even say it, but yeah, on my new thingy thingy. Um, thing that's not Twitter thing that's not Twitter yeah so I've shared it there and I've also shared it on my Twitter as it burns and dies but you'll be able to find um, the uh, Roaring Twenties Radio's book recommendations there so here are a handful of things that I'm excited about things that I'm reading Starting with The Night Ship by Jess Kidd. Jess Kidd's a fantastic writer. It's um it's it's set in 1628, embarking on a journey in search of her father. A young girl boards the Batavia, the most impressive sea vessel of the age. During the long voyage, this curious and resourceful child must find her place in the ship's busy world, and she soon uncovers a shadowy secret above and below deck as tensions spiral the fate of the ship and all on board becomes increasingly uncertain. I love, I love, I love the writing of um, Jess Kidd, so I'm very excited. So that's on my on my, on my my radar. Um, poetry, I'm excited to be catching up with, uh, with some fantastic books that are coming through. Anthony Joseph, um, Sonnets for Albert, which was shortlisted for the Forward Prize. Um, the Illustrated Woman, a brilliant new collection from Helen Mort, a huge fan of Helen's. Maybe we should get her on the show, actually. She's amazing. And All the Men I Never Married, another incredible collection from Kim Moore. Um, and then the winner of the 2022 Gordon Byrne Prize, Pretty Tanager. Um, it was amazing to see her win. It's a fantastic, she's a fantastic writer. Here's a description. Usman Khan was convicted of terrorism-related offences at age 20 and sent to high-security prison. He was released eight years later and allowed to travel to London for one day to attend an event marking the fifth anniversary of a prison education programme he participated in. On 29th of November 2019, he sat with others at Fishmongers Hall, some of whom he knew. Then he went to the bathroom to retrieve the things he had hidden there, a fake bomb vest and two knives which he taped to his wrists. That day, day he killed two people, Saskia Jones and Jack Merritt. Pretty Tanager 
taught fiction, writing in prison for three years. Merritt oversaw her programme. Khan was one of her students. It is the immediate aftermath, she writes. I'm living at the centre of a wound still fresh. The eye is not only mine, it belongs to many. In this searching lament by award-winging author of We That Are Young, she interrogates the language of terror, trauma and grief, the fictions we believe and the voices we exclude. I'm not surprised that won the Gordon Byrne Prize and I'm really looking forward to reading that. Also on my list, um, um, novels-wise, we have uh, Ghost Signs by Stu Hennigan, memoir, brilliant memoir by Kit DeWar, without um, Kit DeWall, sorry, without warning and only sometimes, extraordinary, moving, brilliant book. Um, I highly recommend that. Um, back to poetry, a hundred, a hundred queer poems, um, with uh, edited by Mary Jean Chan and Andrew Macmillan. I love these poets and I love this poetry collection. So look out for that. Um, the transgender issue, which also won at the Books of My Bag Readers Award, the transgender issue, an argument for justice, which is by Sean Fay. Excited to see a 30th anniversary edition of The Secret History by Donna Tart. I loved this book when it came out. And it's amazing to see it return. It was, it says here, the bestseller that defined an age. And so it's amazing to see that it's returning. Um, it just came out. Uh, recently so have a look for that if you're if you're younger than me then that'll be a new book for you but for me it's a reread and so I'm looking forward to that um, and another book I've been really loving delving into is A Ballet of Lepers. It's some um, novels and stories by Leonard Cohen. And I've been really oh. enjoying that. That's fantastic. And I'm going to be running out of time. But The Selfless Act of Breathing by J.J. Bowler. That's out now. The New Irvin Welsh, The Long Knives. A classic book that I always like to read around this time of year. All the Devils Are Here by David Seabrook. And The Paper Lantern is a wonderful book that came out in 2022 by Will Burns, um, Faith, Hope and Courage. Oh, sorry, Faith, Hope and Carnage, of course it is, which is Nick Cave. That's out now and doing the rounds and doing fantastic. And here's a book that I really want to get for Christmas and read over the Christmas holidays. This is Alan Moore, um, a short story collection by Alan Moore called Illuminations. It's a wonderful collection, brilliant and often moving, both mind expanding and cosmic, while utterly rooted in our urban reality, says Neil Gaiman. Now, I've got to read this message I would like to share um, this book, which is P by David Rudd Mitchell. It's a dystopian novel set in the future and published by Plastic Brain Press. I read that it parallels parallels 1984 and I love dystopian and I love futuristic books. So if you want to check that out, go and check out David Rudd Mitchell. There's a piece about it on the Orwell Society. So that's orwellsociety.com. And uh, thanks for the hot tip, top tip there coming in on my Twitter um, I think that's all my books for now. But like I said, I'm constantly tweeting and sharing and Instagramming books and books I love. So you can find more of the reads and things I recommend there. And you'll also find our Roaring Twenties radio um, lists up on bookshop.org. Might be time for a time for a little bit of music. What do we have there, Rose? Emma Rose, what you got? What you got? You know what I've got? What you got? What you got? I've got <laughs> nothing but flowers. Oh. 
We're coming to the end of the show. There was a little bit of talking heads there. And um, I just want to give a big up and a shout out to Lifting the Lid Festival, the International Festival of Death and Dying. It's happening this weekend. Last night they had the fantastic Ollie Spleen and they've had all kinds of people and all kinds of talks and workshops and poetry and performance around and about um, themes of death and dying and healing and counselling and grief and mourning um i will be uh talking to my friends in california at queer death stories as part of the lifting the lid festival tomorrow at seven o'clock it's on zoom so you can tune in and watch from the comfort of your home from my sofa to your sofa i'll be at home you'll be at home and we can just have this gorgeous discussion with my beautiful friends there in california the death uh, queer death stories have a look online look it up it's the lifting the lid festival oh also another highlight tomorrow is uh rue calendar is talking about his amazing book what remains um and he's an amazing undertaker with fantastic fantastic stories so he's on at six o'clock and then i'm on at seven o'clock so that's tomorrow evening lifting the lid festival of death and dying international festival of death and dying that sounds fantastic yeah it's a whole weekend of stuff wonderful i wanted to say as well because I, I never i don't mention it that much I you don't never. Think, I never. Come on, big up your writing. Let's go. So let's if go. You, I am a jobbing journalist <laughs> and I publish things all the time uh, here and there. But if you want to find my writing, um, which mainly is around art, culture, it links to politics and wider cultural themes as well uh, in, our, in our modern age, obviously, art touches everything. Um, so, but you can find it on my Instagram, which is Amarose, um, and my Twitter for now which is also amarose a-m-a-h-r-o-s-e and um yeah you can find links to my work on there um there's uh, always something new usually <laughs> hopefully <laughs> and um yeah so um if you're interested you can go there and find out more um we are gonna wrap up the show soon now and we were gonna we were really wondering what to play we weren't 100 percent sure until 30 seconds ago what our last song was going to be but we've decided that we're going to play cold-blooded old times by smog because it is just such a stone cold classic thank you very much for tuning in oh Thank Sorry, you very much I jumped the gun there. <laughs> Thank you very much for tuning in. We're Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter, and it's at Roaring Twenties Two O S Twenties Radio. Thank you. Thank you. Here we go again. Bye bye. Cold blooded old times. Cold blooded old times. Cold-blooded old times—the type of memories that turn your bones to glass, turn your bones to glass. Mother came rushing in. She said we didn't see a thing. We said we didn't see a thing And father left at eight Nearly splintering the gate Cold-blooded old times 
Cold-blooded old times Cold-blooded old times Cold-blooded old times The type of memories that turn your bones to glass Turn your bones to glass Though you were just a little squirrel, you understood every word. And in this way, they gave you clarity, a cold-blooded clarity, cold-blooded old time. Cold-blooded old times Cold-blooded old times oh, How can I stand And laugh with the man Who redefined your body How can I stand And laugh with the man Who redefined your body In those cold-blooded old times Cold-blooded old times Cold-blooded old times 